This is Stealing Home. I'm David Temple. We are about a quarter of the way into the professional baseball season, but at least in my neck of the woods, a whole new baseball season is starting. I'm not talking about the minor leagues, rec leagues, or even Little League. When the end of May rolls around in the Twin Cities, it's St. Paul's Saints season. People often wrongly classify the Saints as a minor league baseball team, but they aren't. They are actually part of an independent league, completely agnostic from traditional Major League Baseball. This leaves them all on their own. They are responsible for bringing in as many people as possible to watch some, how do you say, not-so-great baseball. The independent leagues are filled with guys who either fell out of professional ball for one reason or another, or never made it in the first place. They try. They try real hard. But there's an understanding that there is very little chance you'll see any of these players on your TV. For this reason, the Saints do anything and everything to bring fans to the game. Every inning, and I mean every inning, is split up by some sort of contest, presentation, or other form of tomfoolery. At any given Saints game, you may see people get doused in cottage cheese, an animal bring the ball to the mound, people get put in tractor tires and rolled along the outfield, or dance competitions taking place on top of the dugout. And then, there's the mascots. There's Mud Donna, the fluorescent pink pig that gets most of the attention and is dressed in typical mascot fashion. But the fans must be constantly entertained, so the Saints employ more mascots to roam the stands and help with on-field activities. They rotate every season, but I've personally observed an overzealous high school coach, a nerd, a superfan, a lumberjack, and a sex-crazed octogenarian. But everybody's favorite, by far, is less of a mascot or a character. He's just a guy, really, that sings karaoke at nearly every game. He's billed as, quote, Sego Masabuchi, a real Japanese guy, end quote. Mascots are a special part of the game. They are ambassadors, ushers, comic relief, child pleasers, and targets for abuse by visiting fans. They're the big, fuzzy, oversized faces of their franchises. They're the unofficial 26 roster member. And why shouldn't they get some attention? Can you even imagine how hot those suits are? From the Lefty Grove Memorial Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and thehardballtimes.com, it's Stealing Home. I'm David Temple. We're going inside mascots today with A.J. Mass, the author of a new book on life as a mascot. I also profile a more visual look inside the life of a mascot, and I implore all of us to strive for a little bit more with the MVP of my heart. It's Stealing Home. Let's play ball. Stealing Home. I'm David Temple. My guest is A.J. Mass. A.J. is a writer for ESPN, but long before that, when he was a recent college graduate looking to find his way in the world, he stumbled upon a much different opportunity. It still had to do with sports, but in a much different capacity. 
With the help of some random chance and a little bit of luck, AJ ended up being in charge of reviving the mascot known as Mr. Met. In his new book, Yes, It's Hot in Here, Adventures in the Weird, Woolly World of Sports Mascots, AJ chronicles his time as the New York Mets mascot, and in an attempt to revisit the old days, takes up a quest to not only meet current-day mascots, but try his hand at his old profession again. It's an excellent book, and I'm very happy to have the author with me today. AJ, thanks for joining me on Stealing Home. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Uh, glad to be on. So let's, uh, we'll start at the beginning, I guess, the beginning of your book uh, talks a little bit um, up front about your experience as the mascot for the New York Mets, as Mr. Met. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started as Mr. Met? Well, it certainly wasn't anything I planned or set out to do. I, I, I think there might be some people out there in the world who uh, grow up and say to themselves, hey, I want to be a Major League mascot someday. Uh, I was not one of those people. Uh, but I was always a baseball fan. I grew up within walking distance to Shea Stadium in Flushing, New York, and you know, would spend my weekends saving up, you know, saving up my allowance for those $4 general admission seats and sitting in the upper deck. And you know, I was a huge baseball fan. I thought maybe you know, dream of dreams, I'll be a baseball player someday and I'll play for the Mets. And, uh, you know, eventually you figure out that your your athletic ability and your dreams don't necessarily go hand in hand. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I graduated from college in 1992, went out to L.A. for a little bit, thought maybe I'd be a sitcom writer or something like that, hated L.A., came back home, and there in the newspaper one day was this big ad saying that they were going to be opening up a theme park uh, at Shea Stadium behind the outfield wall in conjunction with Nickelodeon. And uh, anyone who would be interested in being an actor in one of the stage shows or perhaps being a tour guide of the stadium could come out and, and you know, audition for those parts. You know, I was thinking, all right, I, I'm just back from this, this trip to California. Let me give that a try. Certainly, at the very least, I could be a tour guide. I know that stadium like the back of my hand. And, you know, even if not, uh, you know, I, I'd done some acting in college. Not, I'm not going to win an Oscar, but, you know, I'd done some acting. I thought maybe I, I could get a job. And sure enough, they, they gave me a job as, as one of these stage actors. And after one of the rehearsals, they said, you know, we're kind of uh, interested in bringing back Mr. Matt. So anyone who wants to stick around, maybe earn a, you know, a few extra bucks to hang out after rehearsal. Three of us hung out after rehearsal, and I fit the suit the best. So <laughs> it really was one of these, you know, uh, Johnny Bravo from the Brady Bunch uh, kind of situations where he fits the suit, he's the guy. Right. But the, the Met suit, the Mr. Met suit, wasn't the same as the, as the kind of iconic uh, mascot that we know today, right? Yeah, it was this bizarre thing where they wanted to they wanted to really promote the theme park more than than Mr. Matt himself. So what they did is they had a bunch of mascot characters representing some of the Nickelodeon shows that were going on. Like there was a bat for one of the, like I think Eureka's Castle was the big show back then. Um, you know, so they had all these animal creatures, but Mr. Matt was supposed to be like huge. So what it was, it was this giant puppet. And uh, I was fully encased in this polyurethane shell that went from a, like a foot above my head to like down to my knees. And there were, there were levers to, to move the arm a little bit and you could stick the tongue out the mouth and shift the eyes around and then wiggle the eyebrows. It was, it really was this giant like Muppet like creation. And uh, you got inside that for the dance that they did. Every game there was a dance at the seventh inning stretch. Mr. Matt would come out with nine dancing baseball gloves. I know that got a lot of TV exposure at the time. And, and that was it. I mean, you couldn't interact with the fans because it was a giant puppet. It wasn't really meant to do that. Um, and that was in 1994. 
the strike hit, so the season kind of ended early, and the park kind of closed because of that. Um, in 1995, they brought Mr. Met back, and I came back to do it again, and that was just for the one season. And I, I went into to management, and I said, look, I, I enjoy doing this, but if we're going to do this, we have to do it right. We need to change the costume. And that's, you know, they listened to me, and, it, and they agreed, and then, then we kind of put in place that costume that pretty much is the same one that they use today, you know, tweaks here and there, but it, it, it's the design that everyone would recognize. And and besides uh, kind of your adventures uh, as a mascot, you also talk to a lot of other people uh, who are mascots for um, sort of like independent or minor league amateur soccer teams and, and hockey teams and, and football teams. And, and you talk to people with all sorts of different backgrounds who kind of have this shared experience um, of being a mascot, even though they're all sorts of different ages and genders and things like that. Do you think there's certain traits that all these that all these people share? Yeah, I, I think, you know, that was kind of my, my, my quest is that, you know, I had these memories, but I was pretty much in isolation for the large part of it because I was, you know, it was this was in the days before, even before social media was big. So really reaching out to these mascots who a lot of teams try to protect the identity of to kind of create the illusion that the, the character is the character, you know, we didn't interact so much. So I wanted to, you know, go back and, and talk to the people who, uh, you know, were the forefathers of the mascot world, the ones who started it all, and what were their experiences like. And, and then, you know, it's been, I left in nine, 1997, so it's been a long time since then. I wanted to talk to the people, you know, since I left and find out if their experiences were the same as mine or if mine really were just unique and isolated. Uh, and I think that mascot performers generally fall into one of two categories. Either they are the introvert who puts on the costume and, you know, finds a side of their personality they never knew they had, and, you know, that that's when the wackiness comes out, but you take the suit off and then they're back to just being mild-mannered and, and kind of calm. Uh, and then there's the other character, uh, the type of performer who is like, look at me, look at me all the time, needs to be the center of attention. And when they get in the costume, it just magnifies it tenfold and, and just go completely you know, through the roof. But they're the same in and out. Uh, there's really no in-between. It, it, you're either quiet out and, and, and strong in or super strong out and even you know, obnoxious in. And, and I think I fall into the, you know, the introverted char character uh, this traits where, you know, the Mr. Met was much more of a kind character, I think. So I wasn't necessarily wild and crazy, but certainly I'm not the type of person who needs to be standing on a field with 80,000 people watching me. And and you share some um, some kind of hairy stories from, from other people uh, involving fans and, and perhaps kind of dangerous situations. Did you ever feel in danger when you were Mr. Met, or was everyone pretty, pretty chill? I, th I think part of being... Uh, the mascot for the Mets is that in general, uh, it, it's more of a, of a, Mr. Met is kind of one of the, one of the fans and kind of you commiserate with Mr. Met. You feel bad for Mr. Met because he's got to watch the team lose as often <laughs> as he did. Certainly when I was the mascot, um, you know, it, it's more of a, uh, we're all in this together. I, there is a little bit of a difficulty being a mascot in, in, in New York market because the Yankees exist. And Yankee fans, when the Yankees are out of town, have no problem going to Mets games. And when they do, they wear their colors proudly. And and are those would those would be the types of people who would usually come up behind, you know, and you know, smack me on the back of the head, and you know, you you Mets still stink, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But uh, other than that, I I don't think I was ever terribly in danger in the costume. I, I think most people seemed uh, charm charmed about the the idea. And plus, it was still so new that I, I think. 
Um, people didn't have time to get annoyed by the character. I, I think that could have happened over time. So people were like, there's a stupid mascot again. This was, it was still fresh, so I think people were just happy to see that Mr. Med existed at all at that point. But, I mean, I, I didn't enjoy that day at all. I mean, that was clearly the worst day of the year because, you know, now you've armed the children with weapons and, and you try and convince an eight-year-old who's, you know, hopped up on cotton candy that he's not supposed to use the baseball bat to hit the guy with the baseball head. <laughs> Can't be done. It's Stealing Home. I'm David Temple. My guest is author A.J. Mass. He has a new book out about the life of a mascot called Yes, It's Hot in Here, Adventures in the Weird, Wooly World of Sports Mascots. Besides Mr. Met, do you have like a favorite? I mean, favorite's kind of a maybe kind of a, a pumped up word. But is there is there another mascot either because of the person inside or or because of what the mascot represents that you really admire now or even back then? Well, I, you know, part of it is, is like I do see like uh, the baseball mascots, especially. You know, I, I don't know a lot of the people uh, outside of some of the people I interviewed for this book. I don't really know football mascots or, or basketball mascots or hockey mascots, but I know the baseball guys. And even when I see the mascots today in baseball, I think of them as the person who was in the suit when I was doing it. Sure. Uh, it's hard for me to uh, break that identification. So I do, I do see like the person inside the costume rather than the character. And I mean, to me, uh, the Philly fanatic is the king of, of baseball mascots. Um, yeah, Mr. Met notwithstanding. Uh, but uh, I, I only wish that I had met Dave Raymond. Uh, Dave Raymond uh, was the Philly fanatic one from his birth until 1993. I started in 1994, and I talked to Dave uh, Raymond at great length for this book, and he was generous with his time and gracious and willing to share all of his stories. I wish I had met him in my first year because I would have learned so much just from one or two conversations with him. I would have been so much better performer. Just, just, you know, you can't help but learn how to do the job a lot better from talking to him. And he's still in the business today, training new mascots. And I think that's terrific that he's been willing to give back. Um, and I, the, you know, the reason the Philly fanatic is so good today is because, you know, of Dave Raymond creating this character, doing it for so long, and then passing it along to the person that he trained, Tom Burgoyne, who's done it from 1994 to present day. So I, it, it's, there's a reason that they that the character is so great. It's because it's been consistent. I'm wondering now. For example, personally, like I'm a I play the tuba, right? It's it's something I've done for a very long time, and I went to college for it and everything. So it's something that I identify with even now when I when I don't do it as much. Um, but still, there's that thing where if I'm in a place, it doesn't even have to be like a, a concert hall or something. But if I'm in a place and I see a tuba player, he could be part of like a marching band or, you know, some, some pet band walking by or something. I, I immediately focus there without, it's just, you know, an internal thing. I just, I immediately, you know, start looking at that guy. Uh, I imagine that's still something that, that you do, right? Like it's just kind of a instinctual thing where you just, if, 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 a if one of these characters comes into your field of view, you're automatically fixated on them. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm always, critiquing the performance just to, you know exactly in, in right by myself yeah i, I mean any good or bad like you know I, I i there was there was a long time when i couldn't physically go to a baseball game after i after i left the mr mccoss i mean even today like it, it's hard for me to sit in a baseball stadium and watch a baseball game because i always feel like i have to be somewhere 
Um, it's just been so ingrained in me that, you know, first inning got to be here, third inning got to be here. It's hard for me to sit in the seats and just watch a game. And when I do, I'm often, if I know the team has a mascot, I'm, I do often find myself going, all right, where is the mascot? Okay, oh, that's, yeah, okay. Oh, he's good. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 that's wrong. No. So, yeah, I, I mean, I can't help but, but do that. It, 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 it is uh, such a unique job, and once you do it for a while, because you know uh, that, very few people understand what it's like to be inside a mascot costume and do it, uh, especially at the level I did it at. Um, it's hard for me not to look at mascots and, and just, okay, oh, I see what he's trying to do there. Yeah, we, I went to Dave Raymond's mascot camp, uh, his boot camp, mm-hmm. and watched a young performer uh, named Isaiah Arpino. And Isaiah would, like, put on a little show for the rest of the, of the students there, um, like a fake audition. And I watched him for five minutes, and I knew that he was better than I better now than I ever was. And it was just a joy to watch him. And, and you know, to be able to identify that, that you know, oh, he's got talent. He's a good kid. He's going to go places. Like, that, that was kind of, you know, it, it's just something I can't help but do. And and you um, took off the costume not terribly long ago, but still um, in a time where, where the ballpark experience was a lot different than it is today. Um, there's increased competition from... Uh, you know, jumbotrons and dance crews and kiss cams and fan sing-alongs and, and all these other things um, that kind of, I don't want to say diminish the role of the mascot, but maybe um, cast it aside a little bit. Do you see, do you see like, do you see the world of mascots changing even in the, you know, 20 some years since, since you stopped doing it? Well, I think, I think teams are starting to come to the conclusion. I think the before, as performers, we knew this a long time ago and no one would listen to us in general, but I think they're coming to the conclusion that the single most valuable marketing tool at a, at a sports team's disposal is the mascot because you can put the mascot on anything and it's so identifiable with the team. Uh, you know, you can't do that with the head coach because the head coach might not be here next year. You can't do that with the players. They could be traded. They could retire. You know, they could stink and have to get cut. But the mascot is going to be there today, tomorrow, 20 years from now. As long as, you, as, long as the team wants that mascot around, it's going to be there. And it, because of that, it, it is such a valuable uh, tool. And the teams that figure that out sooner than others are the ones who are able to, you know, monetize it, you know, sell the plush dolls, uh, have, have the mascot at community events and, and representing the team. But along with that, you need to have a performer who – um, you can honestly trust enough to do those tasks. Uh, it, I, it boggles my mind that on every level of sports, from, from minor leagues all the way up to the major leagues, how many teams still think, we'll just take an intern, stick him into the suit, and we'll be done with it. And I, I just don't understand that. You mean you wouldn't let the intern make trades. You wouldn't let, let the intern set your lineup for the day. Why are you letting an intern handle your marketing tool, your most powerful marketing tool? Because all it takes is one mistake, one you know, ill-timed gesture, uh, a, a, you know, a grope that gets misinterpreted, you know, uh, you know, a, a, an innocent comment that, that someone hears or thinks they hear. Or, you know, worst-case scenario, parent hands, hands the baby to the mascot for a photo op, and some drunk guy chooses that moment to come up from behind and smack you on the back of your head. You drop the baby. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some PR damage there that can never be undone. So uh, you need somebody in the suit who takes the job seriously, and I don't think enough teams do that. 
Um, the performance stuff, that, that's all, you know, secondary to me. It's, it's the interaction with the fans that, that really needs to be uh, focused on in the quiet moments. You know, it doesn't have to be front and center all the time, but the person in the suit has to realize that for the moment they put the suit on, they are front and center. Someone's going to be watching you because you don't fade into the background. <laughs> and and I, I, you can tell right away that, that your experience as a mascot really gives you um, a lot of great insight um, into all the things that go into uh, what's really a, a wonderful book. The name of the book is Yes, It's Hot in Here, Adventures in the Weird Woolly World of Sports Mascots. And it's written by my guest, AJ Mass. AJ, thank you so much for joining me on Stealing Home. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. AJ Mass's new book, Yes, It's Hot in Here, is available anywhere fine books are sold. And you can follow him on Twitter at AJ Mass. If you don't have traditional cable or satellite, or if you're just a big fan of binge-watching whole television series, you might be a subscriber to Hulu. This isn't an ad, I promise. Besides the countless hours of television episodes, Hulu provides there is original content being produced as well. The Booth at the End was one series I remember enjoying, but recently, Hulu released a new series. I'll let the show do the proper introductions. So many different people want pieces of him. Everyone wants to be around him. Everyone wants to take a picture of him. Who the heck is this guy? Players may change. Coaches may change. The mascot never changes. The show is Behind the Mask, and it follows four men and covers four levels. High school, college, minor leagues, and professional. There is actually little baseball involved, to be honest, but the show echoes a lot of what AJ's book does. A deep look into the lives of the people who are responsible for those furry hands being waved at the audience. The story follows some fairly identifiable tropes. The shy kid who uses his mascotting as a way to break out of his shell. The college kid seeking identity. The minor leaguer waiting for his big break. And the aging professional who has to juggle work family, and a deteriorating body that is constantly being demanded of more. It's fairly clear who you should be impressed with. Kevin, who is Bango, the mascot for the Milwaukee Bucks. His job is the most demanding. He flies down from rafters, does crazy dunking stunts, and backflips his way into the fans' hearts. You pull for Michael, the shy high schooler, as he uses his other persona to try and become less socially awkward and learn to assert himself. Chad, the minor league hockey mascot, is the classic guy you root for. He's extremely nice, loves his family, and works hard for little pay as he tries to make it to the NHL. And then there's John. John, or Jersey as he's called, plays Hey Reb, the mascot for the UNLV Rebels. 
Jersey is a bit of a mixed bag. First of all, he has a nickname, and you get the feeling he gave himself that nickname, which never scores points with me, at least. He puffs himself up a little bit, and you can tell that he loves all the attention the cameras garner him. He constantly refers to the pride he feels being a first-generation college student, yet his collegiate career extends six years as his devotion to being the mascot and all the extracurriculars that come with that are constantly pulling his attention from school. He's not mean, he's not a jerk per se, but he certainly comes off a little bro-ish. Perhaps this is what acclimates him so well to UNLV. Jersey is the fool of the story, the buffoon, the guy who just can't seem to get it right. But despite this narrative being put on him, and despite the fact that I don't really like him, he's the one I ended up rooting for. When Jersey finally satisfies all the requirements to graduate, there's an arc about him putting away the mask that he was in for six years, and the bittersweet feelings that that brings. But in truth, the mascot is just a small part of it. Jersey is being cast into the real world. And he's freaking terrified. Leaving college, the military, trade school, or even high school is a jarring event. You leave behind the person you once were. The person everyone you knew saw you as. You are encouraged and basically required to make a new path. To trek your own way in the world. You are starting anew. That transition comes easy to some, less so for others. But it doesn't mitigate the severity of it. We spend most of our early lives reinventing ourselves. Adolescence is great for that. Young adulthood can be too. But soon enough, you end up stuck on a final road. You may not even know how you got there. But you are there nonetheless. It can be exciting and scary and suffocating, and the further you walk, the less chance you have on coming up on another road. Jersey knows this, and he knows it's coming very soon, and he hasn't the slightest clue what to do. He is losing two identities, really. His mascot persona, a thing that defined and sculpted his idea of himself for so long, is going to be given to someone else. And if that weren't enough... The man, or the boy, really, that filled that suit is being taken away as well. He's on the precipice of adulthood without a parachute or a lifeline. He just has to jump and see what happens. If you watch the show, you may end up picking a different side, in the corner of some other character. Jersey may rub you the wrong way, but he can't help but remind you of yourself the last time capital L life was staring you in the face, waiting for you to make the first move. Sometimes we need a little perspective like that. And if we can get it while watching death-defying stunts and a good deal of pyrotechnics, all the better. Behind the Mask is an original series produced by Hulu. You can find it on Hulu.com. To end every show, 
I like to look at someone who, for reasons on the field or off, deserve a little love. It's the MVP of my heart. I'm recording this on Memorial Day. I'm afforded the ability to do so because, like many Americans, I don't have to work on Memorial Day. It's a national holiday meant to remember the men and women who lost their lives in combat serving our country. Christy Mathewson didn't technically lose his life in combat, but he did lose it because he served. When he was stationed in France during World War II, he was accidentally exposed to chemical gases as part of a training exercise. His lungs were permanently damaged, and he would battle tuberculosis for the rest of his life. That life would end seven years later, at the age of 45. Mathewson already had a celebrated career as a player, one of the best pitching careers in the history of the game, actually. And he was getting time as a manager as well. Though his life was short, he certainly experienced more than many men who lost their lives in the First World War. Put in perspective, he didn't have it all that bad, really. But here's the thing. Mathewson was 38 when he joined the Army. He certainly didn't have to join, but he insisted on doing it anyway. We spend so much of our lives worrying about what we have to do. Our lives pull us in a million different directions, and we are left with a longing just for a little time to watch TV, sleep in late, or maybe just sit around and do nothing. If something comes up that we realize we don't have to do, we relish the opportunity not to do it. This isn't some diatribe about how we're all worthless and we should seek something greater by enlisting in the armed forces. Those men and women are exceptionally brave, no doubt, but many other people contribute a lot in their own way. But to achieve a lot, you have to be willing to do stuff you don't have to do. When astronauts flew the Apollo 10 mission, one of their responsibilities was to fly the lunar module at a low orbit around the moon to do some tests. They would come in at about 50,000 feet above the surface of the moon. This would be the same model of lunar module that the Apollo 11 mission would use to land on said moon. This one was slightly different, however, as it didn't come with a full amount of fuel. See, NASA knew that that far from home and so close to the surface, the Apollo 10 pilots might get it in their heads to make an impromptu landing. Astronauts, especially in those early days, were constantly being asked to do things they didn't have to do. They did them, and with great pride. But with that pride, with that drive, comes a constant need to achieve, to do better, to perhaps land on the moon, one mission ahead of schedule. I'm setting the bar high here with astronauts and Hall of Fame war heroes, but we can take a hint, at least in some degree. On this Memorial Day, a day we remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice, let's find a sacrifice we can make to make the world, our community, or even the life of just one person a little better. We don't have to donate all our money and time. We don't have to give up all our worldly possessions. But we can do something. 
Whether you believe in heaven, reincarnation, or don't see a future in any kind of afterlife, when we leave this world, when we are physically gone, what we've done is all that's left. A great invention, piece of art, or service record isn't necessary to make us remembered. We just have to try to do something and hope that it rubs off on someone else. And for reminding us all that no matter how great we may seem, no matter how hard we think we work and achieve, there's always something more, something we don't have to do, that can help make a difference. Christy Mathewson is the MVP of my heart. Stealing Home is hosted, produced, and scored by me, David Temple, and distributed by the Hardball Times. For more information and for great baseball writing, go to thehardballtimes.com. Make sure to like us on Facebook and give a positive review on iTunes if you haven't already. That's it for now. I'll see you next time on Stealing Home.